0: Well, good morning. Welcome to Christ the King. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Penny, and I'm the pastor here, and it is great to see you. Uh, if you are a guest or a visitor, uh, welcome. We're glad that you're with us this morning, and that you would uh, be with us as we worship our King, um, because that is why we gather We don't just come uh, because we like the people around us, though we do. (laughs) We do like one another. Uh, We don't come just because uh, we get to sing familiar songs, though we get to do that as well. We come because the one to whom uh, we have staked our lives, the one who has been born and risen, lived and died and risen again, he is the one uh, who is deserving of all of our worship. That is why we gather. And so, Uh, If this is your first sunday or your hundred and first we are glad that you are with us And this morning we're going to be looking uh, at a passage in matthew chapter 2 So if you have a bible you can turn to matthew 2 There are also bibles in the chair in front of you You can uh, grab those and our passage is found on page 807 of matthew 2 This is the third week in the season of advent And as such, we have been looking at these Advent texts, this story of Jesus' birth. And uh, last week, we heard how uh, Jesus was going to be born through the the power of the Holy Spirit to the Virgin Mary. This was declared to Joseph, but now some time has gone by, some time has elapsed between Matthew 1 and Matthew 2. Uh, Jesus is a little bit older. He's no longer an infant, so our nativity scenes maybe are are a little bit embellished (laughs) with the wise men standing over the cradle of baby jesus jesus is a little bit older he's probably around 12 months many have surmised probably about 12 months old he's not quite old enough that he's running around probably but but he's growing he's a little bit older and as he grows as he ages this uh this jesus he elicits a response there are different ways that we could respond to him to his birth to his coming right i mean there there are many things that we can think about his coming and in our passage we see three groups of people three groups of people we see herod and we see chief priests and scribes and we see wise men and each one of these three groups of people are going to respond very differently to the birth of jesus to the coming of this king and it invites us to consider how is it that we are going to respond how is it that we respond to the coming of this king Let's go ahead and read Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Our Father, we do thank you for this word. And we acknowledge that as we come to it, these familiar words, that we need you to open our eyes again, that we need you to soften our hearts, that we need you to allow my words to be your words and our meditations to please you. And so we ask for your help. We ask that you would help me as I proclaim your word, and I ask that you would help us all as we listen so that we would be your people, that we would honor you and we would respond rightly to our Lord and Savior who has come. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So when you think about a baby, uh, what runs through your mind? We just got news uh, a few days ago that uh, John was born to uh, Caleb and Anna Blevins, right? Henry was presented this morning for baptism. When, when you think of a baby, what runs through your minds? Maybe it's you've heard that you are now expecting or maybe it's uh, the, the birth of a, of a child to some friends of yours. What, what do you think about? What do you think about? Well, if you're pregnant, when you think about a baby, you, you probably think, uh, when is this baby going to come? Because <laughs> I'm tired and I'm sore and I'm ready for, uh, for this baby to come so that I can meet this little man or woman. Right? Maybe that's what you think of if you're pregnant. If if you're the, the parents of a newborn, maybe you're thinking, when is this child going to finally sleep through the night and I can get some peace and quiet and I can get some rest? Right? And then you hear 18, 20 years, that's when you'll get some rest. <laughs> maybe that's what you think about, right? When you think about a baby. For the rest of us, when we hear of a baby being born, our response is often that of excitement, right? Of joy, of celebration, of congratulations. Right? We send emails and texts, and, and we go and visit people in the hospital, and we cannot but celebrate with them at the beauty of this new life. Right? We're reminded of the wonder of life, of beauty, of goodness, of helplessness. That's one thing that I always think of when I hold a baby in my arms. When I go and visit someone in the hospital who's just had a baby, I'm always mindful of the fact of how dependent these little ones are on their parents, Right? I mean, it's, we just kind of know this intuitively, and it goes without saying, but, but a child is completely helpless, completely dependent upon its mother to feed him or, or her father to carry her. Right? He is completely dependent upon another. That's what I often think about, that they need their parents. But you know what's one thing that I never think about, and I imagine none of us ever do when we think of a baby, think of an infant? we don't generally think that this child is very threatening. (laughs) This child is not fear inducing, right? Like as I walked down the aisle with Henry in my arms, like no one was recoiling in fear or ducking under their chairs at the threat that this little baby would pose, right? Because he's not threatening. He's not fear inducing. In fact, the only thing that he threatens is a, a sleep, sleep filled night. That's about it. Now there's nothing fear inducing about them. They're dependent and unthreatening. And so our response is joy, is celebration. But I wonder if our response changes when we don't think about just any baby, when we're not thinking about Henry or John, who has just been born, or, or the many other babies in our midst, but when we think about Jesus. The infant Jesus is our response to his coming change. In many ways, Jesus is like any other infant. He needed Mary to feed him. He needed Joseph to carry him, but that's a part of his humanity. That is him taking on flesh, that he was dependent upon Mary and Joseph. And so in many ways, Jesus is like every other infant, but on the other hand, Jesus is completely different than any other infant, right? We heard last week that he's conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. So he's very unique. And so our response to him is going to be unique. It's going to be different. So how are you going to respond? How do the different characters respond? I already mentioned we have Herod. We have the scribes and the chief priests. We have the wise men. And with each one of these, we have a different response. A couple of them, we have responses that we need to resist and we need to guard against. And there is one that we need to embrace. And so that's what I want us to do this morning. I want to use these different characters as avenues into considering how it is that we are to respond to Jesus. And we begin with Herod. And his response to the news of Jesus' birth is that of anxiety. It's anxiety. The wise men come, and they say to Herod, they go to Jerusalem, the center of Jewish life. It made sense that they would go to Jerusalem because this is the center of life. And so so if the king of the Jews is to come, surely he would be there. And so they go to Herod, and they say in verse 2, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now notice what they said. Or notice what they didn't say. They didn't say, where is this one who will be king? They didn't say, where is this one who will one day ascend to the throne in the future tense? No, their question is the present tense. Where is he who is king? Who is king now? And the implication of what they're saying isn't lost on Herod. We see in verse 3 that his response initially is he was troubled. He's troubled. His response is that of worry and anxiety. And he's anxious because he realizes that the birth of this king means that his authority is about to be challenged. You see, Herod was a king himself, but his kingship was a kingship of the Jews because of the Romans. You see, it was the Romans who placed him in power and gave him authority. That's what we know about Herod. We also know that he did some good things for the people. He built a temple. He rebuilt the temple. He built, he built uh, uh, theaters and a palace in Jericho and a fortress. But we also know that Herod was ruthless. That he was ruthless, that he killed those he suspected of challenging his authority, even his own family members. And next week, in the passage that we have before us, we're going to see how far he would go, the lengths to which he would go to maintain his authority. He would kill the baby boys of the region of Bethlehem. He was ruthless and vindictive, he was a murderer. And he understood that Jesus' birth was a direct challenge to his own authority. And so instead of finding comfort in the coming of this king, in the birth of this king, Herod is anxious. He's worried. He's afraid. But that's not the only response. The chief priests and the scribes, they respond as well. Herod, out of his concern and anxiety, he calls them to himself, and he inquires of them, where is this king to be born? And they reply in verse 5, In Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So the scribes and the chief priests, they get it right. They know where this king is supposed to be born. He's to be born in Bethlehem. That was actually the reading that the Clintons did this morning when they were lighting the candle. Right? It's straight out of Micah chapter 5. And so they paraphrase the words of the prophet. And they say, in Bethlehem, that's where he's supposed to be born. So let's think about this for a second. So this one to whom the promises had been made about, this one to whom prophecies were made about, this one that, that Israel had been placing all of their hope, they had been waiting for, they had been longing for, thousands of years they had been waiting and hoping that the Messiah would come. He has arrived, and they know where he's supposed to be. So what do you think they should do? How do you think they should respond at that? I mean, the one to whom they have placed all of their hopes and all of their expectations, they hear that maybe he has come. What do you think they should do? What what would you do? What do you do when you hear about things that are good and beautiful when you hear about things that are new or, or, or something that is, that is going to change the way in which you live. When you hear about things, what, what do we do? When Apple announces a new iPhone, right? What do people do? They camp out, <laughs> right? When the prequels to the Star Wars movies came out, what do people do? They dress up like Chewbacca and Boba Fett, and they went and they saw the movies, Right Or Harry Potter, when book six came out, The Half-Blood Prince. If you were like me, you were there at midnight at Barnes & Noble, Noble buying your book and reading through the first chapter, right? This is what we do. When there's something that we're expecting, something that we're hoping for, something that we think is going to be good, when it comes, we run and we see what all the excitement is about. When Earth Fair opened, I've, I don't think I've ever bought anything. at. I, I bought one lunch at Earth Fair. But when it opened, what did Kat and I do? We drove over. Everybody was so excited about Earth Fair, and so we wanted to check it out. We wanted to see what it was like. We wanted to see if all of the excitement was worth it. That's what we do. And so when the prophets, when the scribes and the the chief priests can recite the prophecy of the coming Messiah, the one to whom they had been hoping, what should they do? They should go. But what did they do? They did nothing. They did nothing. In a few verses, we're going to see the wise men are going to go the six miles to Bethlehem to find this baby. But who's not with them? Chief priests and scribes. They did nothing. They are completely apathetic. That's how they respond, with apathy. They do nothing. They don't investigate. They don't see if this is truly the one they've been waiting for. Instead, they go back to their scrolls in their day-to-day life. And I can imagine, I can imagine that they went back to their homes at the end of the day. And as their wife asked them, how was your day, honey? They casually said, uh, it was fine. And they kicked back and they opened the Jerusalem paper, whatever it was in their day. And they waited for supper and didn't think anything about it. They're completely apathetic. The Messiah had been born, and they wouldn't even go and see if it was him. You know what that is, friends? That is dead orthodoxy. That's what that is. Because they knew all the right answers, and it did nothing to them. They had all the theology. They had all the knowledge of scriptures and it did nothing it is dead orthodoxy and it is here that i think that we have to be most on guard now i imagine if you're a christian here this morning like the thought of jesus is coming doesn't stir in you anxiety <laughs> though we know that it challenges our authority but we we've come to realize and we come to see that that challenge to our authority is good his authority instead of our authority is good for us. But so, so that, the response of Herod probably isn't where we are in danger. It's in this response. Because it is so easy for us. It is so easy for us to have great confidence in our standing before God and our relationship with him because of our doctrinal precision. Right? It's easy to fill our heads with knowledge and information and theology. Now, now don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying those things are bad, right? Thick, old, dusty books, those are good, right? I have shelves full of them. Those are good. It is good for us to delve into the depths of theology and to read rich works and to explore the scriptures and to memorize them and take them in. It is good to do those things. However, in doing those things, it should not give us confidence because of our theology. In doing those things, it should drive us to love of Jesus, that we should delve deeply into our theology and we should explore the scriptures because they point us to Christ. Because they encourage us to follow him. Because they show us more of ourselves, but they show us more of the grace and love of our King. And so do not be apathetic about him. Let us not fall victim to a cold and dead orthodoxy instead. Instead, let us mine the depths of God's word and the beautiful doctrine that he has given us, but allow us not to be like the scribes and Pharisees, not to be apathetic, but to adore him. That is the right response. Not apathy, not anxiety, but adoration. And that's what we see with the wise men. They hear where Jesus is to be born, and they don't let six miles stop them. They head out, they go to Bethlehem, right? They see the star and they follow it. They go and they adore this one. That's what we see in verses nine through 11. We read, after listening to the king, they went on their way and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. I love this. There's so, so much here. Like, did, so, so Jesus' coming is so revolutionary, even creation itself is pointing to it. I mean, have you ever thought about that? Like, that's a whole nother sermon. But, but just think about that. Creation itself was pointing to the coming of the king because the star was there. is is mind-boggling. But then you hear the, the wise men's responses. Right when they get there, when they arrive, verse 10, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. I love the language Matthew uses. They didn't just rejoice. They didn't just rejoice exceedingly. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. It's as though Matthew wants us to know that they're pretty excited about what they just found. This isn't just some other child. This isn't just some other star. This is the one to whom they've been following, they've been pursuing, they've been looking for, and they found him. There he is. They cannot contain their joy at the arrival of Jesus. But notice something else about the wise men. The wise men, they, they weren't Jewish. I mean, we, I mean, it's really clear from the passage, but I wonder how often we think about that. Like, they weren't part of God's people. They were from far distant lands. They're from the nations. These were astrologers. They were stargazers. They were philosophers from another place. And, and they are the ones who are there worshiping. Remember a few weeks ago when we were looking at the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1? There were two names given to him in verse 1. Well, really three names. Jesus the Christ, right? Jesus Christ, son of David, son of Abraham. And those few weeks ago, at, when we looked at son of Abraham, we talked about the Abrahamic promise. That, that the promise was made to Abraham, that through Abraham's line, a seed would come, the Messiah would come, who would bring blessing to the nations. And that's what's happening here. I mean, think about it. Jesus, he's maybe about 12 months old, give or take. And already the nations are receiving blessing through him. Now, through his life and death and resurrection, we will see this coming in greater fruition and in greater fullness. But it's beginning even here as an infant that the nations are experiencing God's grace and his blessing through this baby. Friends, it wasn't God's people flocking to this little town. It was the nations that were doing it. The adoration of the wise men reveals to us that Jesus is not just the king of the Jews. That's what they called him, and they were right. But he's not just the king of the Jews. He is the king of the nations. Jesus is the king of the earth. Friends, I've said this before. I'm going to say it right now, and you will hear me say it many, many times throughout the years, that Christ the King is not just a bunch of letters on a sign in front of our doors. That Christ the King is a declaration to ourselves and to our city and to this earth that the King has come, that he has arrived, and that his name is Jesus. That's what we say. Every time we walk past past that sign, we should be reminded that Christ has come. Every time we say, I go to Christ the King Presbyterian Church, we should be thinking through that the Lord has come, that the King has arrived. Every time we read on our bulletin, we should be thinking that Christ the King reigns. Because he does. And he came as a baby. That is why we adore him. That is why we adore him. That he is the king over the nations, and he is the king over us. And he deserves our adoration. So what does this adoring look like? What does this adoration look like? Well, we see it with the wise men. They bow down. They worship him. They present him with gifts of great value, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Gifts that were fit for a king. But not just any king. Did, did you notice that this is the second king they've come in contact with? I mean, they met King Herod, but they didn't have gifts for him. <laughs> Because they know that there's only one deserving of these gifts. There's only one who's deserving of these great gifts. And they bow down and give them to him. So what does that mean for us? Well, certainly it means that Jesus, because he is the king over the earth and the king over our lives, he is deserving of anything that we would bring. That actually everything that we have is already his. Because he is the king of our lives. And so they are all his. So he would deserve of anything, but, but he's actually deserving of even more than simply the gifts that we can bring. He's deserving of our very lives. You see, friends, the way that we adore him is by living our lives in complete submission and subjection to his rule. Or as the Apostle Paul put it in Romans chapter 12, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, To present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. That we are to present ourselves to him, all of our hearts and to all of our minds and to all of our souls and all of our spirits and to all that we do with our hands and our feet and everything that we have, it is his. That that is how we live before him. That is how we adore him. That we give every part of us over to him. Another way of talking about this is found in Heidelberg Catechism number one. In the response to the question of the Heidelberg Catechism, it says, what is your only comfort in life and in death? The response, and this is beautiful, the response is that I am not my own, but I belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior Jesus Christ, that I am not my own. I'm not my own. That my entire life is to be lived before him. That is how I adore him, by declaring I am not my own. And friends, that is of great comfort. That is great comfort because Jesus, the one who has come and who has been faithful to the promises of God and faithful to all the prophecies, he is the same one who has been faithful to deliver us from our sin. I had no idea that Bob was going to read from John Donne this morning, but it was so fitting it's so good and so right, right? Go, go by John Donne. Read him. It's wonderful. He's beautiful. But right, Jesus' birth leads to his death and resurrection. That Jesus came not just to be king, but king to save. And that, that is why when we say it is not, my life is not my own that I belong body and soul and life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, that is why that is of great comfort. That is why we adore him. So friends, if you are coming to this king, this one born of Mary, this one worshiped by wise men, if you are coming trusting and adoring him, it means you are not your own. That you adore him by living for him. And so one of the ways that we are going to express this right now, this morning, one of the ways that we're going to express our adoration for him is we are going to declare our adoration by reciting Heidelberg Catechism number one. It's on the next page in your bulletin. We're going to have it um, projected on the screen if we could get that up. And we are going to declare that we are not our own and that this is a great comfort to us. And so, people of God, those who adore the one of whom the prophecies were made, and those who adore the one who was promised, and those who adore the one who has come, I ask you, what is your only comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own, but belong body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins Assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for Him. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father, we do thank you that you have sent your Son, our Lord Jesus, this one who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, this one who stirred in Herod fear. And cause the chief priests and scribes apathy. This one who has come, we adore. And we declare our adoration for him. We declare that he is our God. The one in whom we have placed all of our trust. And so we give our lives in service to him. That we present our lives as the Apostle Paul encouraged us to. We present our lives as living sacrifices to this king who has come. Christ our King, in whose name we pray, and God's people said, Amen. I'll invite the ushers to come forward, and we'll take this morning's tithes and offerings.